Hi, you're listening to the House Call Doctor's Quick and Dirty Tips for Taking Charge of Your Health, and I'm your host, Dr. Madged. There's no doubt that female doctors are especially in demand these days. And this is because women tend to search for female doctors. But what about men? Do they have a preference? Do you guys have a preference? I've really heard both sides of the camp. And I'd love to hear from you in the comment section of this article on the quickanddirtytips.com website or on my Facebook at facebook.com slash housecalldoctor, which is housecall, one word, and then dr. So housecalldr. So here's a not uncommon scenario when I see some of my brand new male patients for a physical exam. So do you have any concerns you wanted to address today? I ask. My wife sees you and she actually made me come in today. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. I don't like doctors. So when is the last time that you had a physical? Not sure. More than 10 years ago, I'd say. Wow, that's quite a while. You're not afraid of us, are you? I say with a smile, of course. Mind you, I'm the least intimidating appearing physician that you'll ever meet a five feet tall and a petite frame. Well, to be honest, I'm not looking forward to that prostate exam. Oh, I see. You mean the rectal exam to feel the prostate surface when we're checking for prostate cancer? Yes. Well, we don't do it anymore. What? You mean that I was dreading this visit for no reason this whole time? Yes. It astounds me that men are still unaware of this. But not unlike women who still believe that pap smears, which are tests for cervical cancer specifically, are done annually. Well, they're not. And that's a topic that I've previously tackled if you'd like to learn more. But if that is the only reason that you dread the doctor is that prostate exam, please fear no more. Digital rectal exams are no longer recommended as a routine screen. And I don't know many up-to-date primary care physicians who still choose to do them. And neither is the blood PSA level. That's the prostate-specific antigen. Well, why don't we screen for prostate cancer any longer, you may be wondering. Some of you may also be wondering why your doctor didn't say anything about it and or why your blood work didn't include it. Well, listen on for a synopsis of why exactly this has now changed. But before I go on, just a short word from our sponsor that truly makes this podcast possible. Did you know that you can buy school supplies, backpacks, bento lunch boxes, etc. on Amazon? There's no doubt that I buy most of my back-to-school items from Amazon. And many of you may already be doing the same. But if you do use Amazon to shop, why not help our network? It's fast and convenient, and you can start from the banner on quickanddirtytips.com slash Amazon. Just go to quickanddirtytips.com slash Amazon and look for the banner to help support our network. So what is the prostate anyways? Well, it's a gland that's only present in the male reproductive system, and it functions to help produce the fluid that is released in the semen. The average normal prostate size is about the size of a golf ball. It sits right next to the rectum and below the bladder, hence causing obstruction to the urinary flow when the gland is actually enlarged, hence producing symptoms such as increased frequency and hesitancy of flow. With age, 
The prostate gland tends to enlarge for most men and often reflects two major possibilities. One is the benign prostatic hypertrophy of the prostate, or BPH, which is a diffuse enlargement of the gland that is benign, just like its name suggests, meaning that it's not cancerous, and it accounts for most elevated PSA levels. And number two, prostate cancer. Now, I know the word cancer makes many of us cringe at the thought, but I'll explain why it doesn't typically cause doctors to blink an eye most of the time when it comes to the prostate. So going back to the PSA, what exactly is the prostate-specific antigen? Well, the PSA is a protein that's released from the cells of the prostate gland. Therefore, the more prostate cells, then the higher the PSA level, such as in BPH or prostate cancer. But it's important to remember that other factors can actually increase the PSA levels transiently as well. One is prostatitis, which is inflammation or infection of the prostate. Uh, Another example is manual manipulation of the prostate. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, digital rectal exams, anal sex, recent ejaculation, a recent biopsy of the prostate, even riding a bike, really anything that can physically place pressure on the prostate gland can increase PSA levels. And thirdly, urinary retention, whether you're holding it in or you're not able to go. These conditions only temporarily elevate the PSA, however. Once the condition has resolved, the PSA typically drops back to its baseline. Therefore, the point of all this is to state that even benign conditions can elevate the PSA. But is a routine PSA screening a beneficial tool for prostate cancer? That is the key question. Of note, when we refer to a test as a routine screen, you may have heard of those terms, We are referring to men without any symptoms. The discussion in this article will be completely different if they were actually having symptoms. So again, this is routine screening in asymptomatic men. So let's talk about prostate cancer for a moment. It is the most commonly diagnosed cancer in men, besides non-melanoma type of skin cancers. Yet, it is the sixth cancer leading cause of death in men in the U.S., and the risk of dying from prostate cancer is less than 3%. Since the 1990s, the PSA test was used as a presumed way to screen for prostate cancer without a lot of research to support its use in this way. There were no studies to show that screening men actually decreased mortality. In medicine, screening tests are only recommended if they make a difference in the end. So the thought is, So what if the PSA test detects prostate cancer if it doesn't actually save lives in the end? This is how doctors think. And this is the heart of the question. There are two landmark studies involving PSA screening that has changed since the way physicians practice. The first one is called the European Randomized Study of Screening for Prostate Cancer, or ERSPC. The PSA screening in this study was shown to decrease the risk of mortality by 21% in those with cancer in this study. But in order to prevent one death from prostate cancer, 1,410 men needed to be screened and 48 men treated. It also suggests 
that the only group of men who may benefit from screening are those between the ages of 55 and 69, not 70 and older. So that was the first landmark study. The second was called the Prostate, Lung, Colorectal, and Ovarian Cancer Screening Trial. This was a study of about 76,000 men that showed screening was associated with a 22% increase in prostate cancer diagnoses. This is different from, a, from the previous study. So it showed an increase in diagnoses, not death, after seven years of follow-up. Despite this increase in diagnoses, Unlike the ERSPC study, study prior, no difference in mortality was found in this study. So those are two important studies to think about. The other important issue is that PSA testing can be potentially harmful. Routine screening may result in unnecessary testing, invasive biopsies, surgeries, and yield aggressive treatment complications such as erectile dysfunction, problems with urination or bowel, etc. that otherwise most men would never need if they weren't tested in the first place. And these consequences can actually diminish your quality of life, as you can imagine. Now, the story continues. The U.S. Preventative Services Task Force or USPSTF, which is the leading organization that sets screening guidelines for practicing physicians. Almost every physician is aware of USPSTF guidelines. So here in 2012, they concluded that the harm outweighs benefits in prostate cancer screening. And they recommend against routine PSA screening in all men, regardless of age. When choosing to be screened for prostate cancer, patients would be selecting a higher risk of morbidity, meaning diminished quality of life, for a very small chance of improved mortality. However, not all doctors agree on this guideline, and the USPSTF's recommendation has been criticized by several other medical organizations who report they do see a benefit in screening, especially in certain patient populations. And physicians are therefore encouraged, as a result, to individualize decisions based on each patient after reviewing the pros and cons for each person. And that's where we have left this debate to date. Now, it's really important to learn what the risk factors for prostate cancer really are when you are trying to make this decision on your own. By far, the most common risk factor is age. Approximately 80% of those over the age of 65 will develop prostate cancer, but because the cancer is typically slow growing, most men with prostate cancer do not die from it. They die from other medical conditions, such as cardiovascular disease, heart attack, stroke, which is the top cause of death in the U.S. for both men and women. Now, here are other patient populations who are higher risk and who may potentially benefit from screening. First, African-Americans. They are actually two times more likely to die from prostate cancer. Also, those with a family history of prostate cancer and a first-degree relative, meaning father or brother, not third cousin removed, etc. And lastly, a diet high in fat believe it or not, is deemed a risk factor for developing prostate cancer. So 
Now that you are aware of what exactly has transpired in regards to this highly controversial topic, in summary, what you need to know is that it's vital for you and your physician to gather to decide if the pros outweigh the potential cons when deciding on whether or not to screen you for prostate cancer after knowing all of this. If you have any of these risk factors, however, make sure to mention them to your doctor. And now after reading this, also you will be equipped with the knowledge and the latest information on this topic in order to discuss it thoroughly with your doctor. So share your ideas and learn more quick and dirty tips with us on the House Call Doctors Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest pages. And if you learned anything here or you simply enjoy all things medical, you can also listen and subscribe to the House Call Doctor podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please note that all content here is strictly for informational purposes, however. This content does not substitute any medical advice and it doesn't replace any medical judgment or reasoning by your own personal health provider. So please always seek a licensed physician in your area regarding all health-related questions and issues. Well, thanks again for listening to another episode of The House Call Doctor. I hope you have a very healthy week. 